Well, good morning, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, coming back and, and continuing our Hope is Here series as we continue to find hope uh, for those who are struggling with the chaos and difficulties of this life. And uh, we've been discovering all the different ways that God brings us hope in the face of a world that just seems hopeless some days. Uh, first week, we talked about how Jesus brings us hope when we're weary from the burdens of life, from the heaviness of life, and how we don't have to walk through that alone, that he is always present, but he also gives us his church, and hope is here at College Road Baptist Church, and so uh, we're glad to keep walking through that. The second week, last week, we talked about the fact that hope comes through the grace of Jesus when we're broken because of our sinfulness, when we are ashamed and feel guilty for the things that we've done in our life, that there is forgiveness. And the fact that we can actually forgive others because God has first forgiven us. And so today we're also going to talk about another way that God offers us hope. When it's given to us in this world, when we feel like the, the things of life are just too much for us to be able to overcome. In, in these times, we feel like an underdog in a story where there's just no possible way to win. There's no possible way for a successful outcome. There's a reason why so many of us love the classic movies of our culture. Movies like Rudy, movies like Rocky, movies like Cinderella Man, or even Cool Runnings. You remember Cool Runnings, the story of the Jamaican bobsled team for the Winter Olympics? You remember that story, that movie that was based on a true story about that, that bobsled team from Jamaica? Jamaica doesn't have snow. How do they have a bobsled team? We love stories that have this common theme. They're all movies about underdogs. They're, they're films about unlikely characters that overcome amazing odds to be victorious in situations where there's just no possible way. They may be told in different ways. They all have their unique outcomes, but they still tell a story of hope against insurmountable odds. Now, maybe these movies do something in us because on a certain level, every one of us knows what it feels like to face circumstances that there's just no way we can overcome them. We cheer for the underdog because somehow most of us in our life have been the underdog at some time or another, and maybe that's where you're at today. Life is just full of daunting situations. Parenting children can feel like a no-win situation. Navigating global pandemics can be more than we actually can handle. Juggling your career and your family can sometimes make it impossible to seem like there's any way to have success in this world. Growing in your faith while at the same time defeating the power of sin in your life sometimes seems overwhelming and impossible. And I would argue that's because you're not meant to overcome these situations alone. Now, the Bible is full of stories about underdogs, people that experience uh, all types of obstacles and face all types of odds, and yet they come out on the other end victorious. But there's a common theme in these stories as well. The characters are all fully aware of the truth that without God on their side, there is no hope for victory. There is no hope for a favorable outcome. If it's left to themselves, they're going to face defeat. 
One of the classic stories in all of Scripture that everyone has probably at least heard referenced. If you've never read the story, you've heard about it. It's a story that happened to David long before he was king of Israel. And at this particular point, he's just a young shepherd boy. Of course, this story is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it's the story of David and Goliath. The little shepherd boy versus the giant warrior. Now, everybody thinks they know this story. We kind of think it's a kid's story because most of us, that's where we heard it. In Sunday school, vacation Bible school, we might have heard it in children's church or, or, or whatever. Maybe, possibly, we heard it at a sporting event as a motivational speech. But I want to suggest to you that there's some deeper Bible things that are at work in this passage if we really want to get at the heart of what it means to experience victory as an underdog. Now, there's three different levels to the story of David and Goliath. And if you miss the three different levels, then you miss the overwhelming victory that ultimately comes through this wonderful underdog story. The first level is individual history. It's the easiest one to notice. It's Goliath as the invincible character and David the shepherd as the improbable champion. But then, not only is there the individual history, there's also the national history. And the invincible character in the national history is the Philistine army. It's this overwhelming army, and the unlikely champion is Israel. And they're facing odds that seem insurmountable. But then there's the redemptive history. It's the bigger picture. It's the backdrop behind everything that's happening here. And in that particular history, the invincible character is Satan and the powers and principalities of this world. And the improbable champion is this Jesus of Nazareth. And so we're going to see how all of this fits together. But if you missed that, you kind of missed the whole point of the story. So first we're going to start with the individual history. And then we're going to work our way towards redemptive history. Let's see what this passage tells us that we need to know as an underdog facing an insurmountable odds that are in our way, how do we respond to that? And the first way we respond is this. You need to be focused on God's presence. You don't need to be focused on everything else that seems to be drawing your attention, but be focused on God's presence. Look with me in the first three verses of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. Now let's do a little bit of historical work here. Who were the Philistines? It was a group of people that were living in the land of Canaan. And of course, the Canaan land was the promised land. That's what God had promised to Israel. So these Philistines weren't supposed to be there. God had given this land to Israel, and they were supposed to drive out all of the inhabitants. But the Philistines were strong. They were technologically advanced. They were the first civilization to work with bronze and iron, and they used that to make weaponry that was superior to almost all of the other nations that they would face in battle. This is the period of history called the Iron Age. and This is really when men began to work and use metal, and the Philistines were at the front lines of that technology. The Philistines controlled the three major cities along the most popular trade route in the world at that time called the Via Maris. They controlled the Gezer, the Megiddo, and Hazar. 
they controlled basically in our day what would have been New York, Atlanta, and Miami along the eastern coast of the United States. They controlled those port areas and those big areas where all of the trade was conducted at their time. They were in control of that. So they were a world superpower. But God wasn't intimidated by the Philistines. He wasn't intimidated by their size and strength or their ability to work with metal. God wasn't saying, ooh, they work with metal. I never saw this coming. How are we going to overcome them? Because ultimately what we find is that God is not afraid of earthly power. That's very important as an underdog when you're facing insurmountable odds to be reminded that your God, the one that is leading you and guiding you and with you and in control of all situations is not afraid of earthly power. Verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Keep in mind, that's not God that's afraid. That's the king of Israel and the people of Israel. But here's the thing. God is not impressed with that power. That did not catch him off guard. This is not something that God was afraid of. He's also not impressed with earthly wealth. Verse 25 says, And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And they were overwhelmed by the power of the Philistines and the power of the Philistine giant. And they were, they were like, you know, if anybody would be willing to go down there and face him so that we don't have to face him, think of all the wealth that you could have. Well, here's the thing. God doesn't need your wealth. God is not impressed by your wealth. God is not impressed by your power. He's not impressed by the power or the wealth of your foes. We are. We see all of those worldly things, all of those outward expressions of power and authority, and it, it's overwhelming. Everybody in this story is, look how much bigger he is than everyone else. And then young David shows up. And this shepherd boy, this little teenage boy, says, look how much smaller he is than God. And that's really... Whereas an underdog, you need to keep your focus. Whereas somebody who feels like there's just no way to win, like this world is too big and there's too much that we cannot accomplish. Verse 26 says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They're all talking about how, listen, somebody please be willing to step up and go out there and fight this battle on our behalf. Think of how rich you might be. And David says, who's going to go down there and do what needs to be done? This guy has spoken against our God. See, fear will focus on the giants of our life. But faith 
focus is on God. You keep your eyes on the one who's in control of all situations. I'm always reminded of this when I'm on an airplane, and when the airplane begins to go through turbulence, it seems like everything's out of control, like the whole airplane is just going to break apart, and the wing's going to fly off. You look out the window, and you see that wing shaking so uh, frantically, and it just feels like panels are going to start flying off, and the wing's going to break away, and the engine's going to explode, and it's like something out of a movie. And you've probably been on airplanes where you've experienced turbulence. And you have to pull your seatbelt a little bit tighter. You probably sit back against your headrest, and you start watching for the oxygen thing to sort of fall down so that you can uh, be able to breathe, and, and ultimately you close your eyes and maybe you even begin to say a prayer for safety, and then at some point during the turbulence, there's a voice that comes over the loudspeaker and announces, hey, this is the captain. We've encountered some turbulence. And you're like, no, duh, thanks. But he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to adjust our altitude. We're going to avoid some of this choppy air. We're going to see if we can get you a smoother flight. Don't worry. Everything is under control and then it's like this burden is lifted off your back why because all of a sudden the person that's actually in control that can actually do anything about what you're experiencing you need to hear from him that everything's okay that he's got everything under control now the problem didn't disappear the turbulence the choppy air is still there but the person in charge of the plane isn't worried so why are you worried Hey, this is what we have to do, like David. Get our eyes on God and remember that even in the midst of all of the things that we're going through, God is still in control because God is, is not afraid of earthly power, earthly wealth, and we need to be focused on His presence above everything else. And when we focus on His presence, then we can also be fearless in God's power. As seemingly... Small and insignificant, facing insurmountable odds, we can be fearless in God's power. The only way we can do that is, first of all, don't dwell on the doubts of others. If you start to dwell on everyone else doubting the possibility of you overcoming the obstacles in your life, and you take your eyes off of God, and you put your eyes on other people, you're always going to stumble. It says in verse 28, now Eliab his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. You know, it sounds like maybe David's older brother is still a little bit bitter about not being chosen as the king. But isn't it true? That the most discouraging opposition in our life, the biggest doubts many times, come from people who should be on God's side, who should be focusing on God. Listen, the Goliaths of the world are big enough. Now you've got a bunch of supposed believers telling you that you're crazy, that you really can't make it, that you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. And now all of a sudden you, you begin to listen to them. But too many times the cowardly people of God are always the biggest obstacle for accomplishing the mission of God. Look, God's got great things for us even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of the struggles that we've got. The gospel of Jesus can't be hidden under a bushel now. We still have to let our light shine. Goliath is not really the problem here. A leather strap and a stone is going to take him out in just a moment. Right now, the biggest problem in Israel is the unbelief that is dominating the hearts of the people of God 
from doing the work of God on earth. The hesitation here in this story is not from God. He's always been in control. He's always been victorious. But the hesitation is with the people. What do you think insulted God more here? Goliath's blasphemous insults? That guy's not a believer. He's not one of the children of God. Of course he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Or was it Israel's blasphemous refusal to believe God? They were supposed to be God's people, and yet they were allowing the doubts of the world and the doubts within them to keep them from doing what they were supposed to, which was rid Canaan of all the foreign nations. The biggest opposition to God working in a place often is the unbelief of the people that make up the people of God. And and here's the problem for us. Many times we place ourselves in the underdog role. It's not even necessarily that the odds are insurmountable. God can take care of them. It's the fact that we don't believe. Verse 29, David said, what have I done now? What is not but a word? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. This is like a 16-year-old boy. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. Now talk about more discouragement. Hey, the king, hey, listen, nobody else wants to go fight the Philistine? I'll do it. You can't. Here's how we actually find out David's age. In Israel, you had to be 20 to be in the army. So we know David's not 20 or he'd have been in the army. But he was also a teenager with experience. This didn't affect him. Why? David wasn't discouraged by others because his courage came from God. He, He knew that ultimately the same things that God had used to protect him as a shepherd against lions and tigers and bears... Oh my, he ultimately wasn't afraid of this Philistine either. Why? Because he knew God's faithfulness. Here's a reminder for you when you're facing obstacles. Don't forget the provisions of God. Don't dwell on the doubts of others, but in your mind, hold fast to where God has provided in the past. If he's provided before, why would he stop now? Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And he arose against me. I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Essentially, Saul said, hey, got any other options? You go. David lived his life like a child running around the pool with his parents in the water, just willingly, with faith, diving over into the deep end, knowing that daddy's going to catch you. Now listen, daddy's not there. If daddy's not in the pool, you know what my kids would do? They wouldn't jump in the deep end. But when daddy's in the deep end, everything is okay. I'm not worried about those waters because I know my dad's going to catch me. So I'm diving in. I'm ready to go in, even over my head, because I know my father or my mother's there to pick me up and to hold me 
and to keep me safe. Now, how do I know that? Because every time I've done it in the past, he's always caught me. My father will protect me because he always has. Remember the way God has provided. Remember what God has done to provide for your needs up to this point. He's, he's not forgotten where you are. And even when life seems like it is a no-win situation, like all the odds are stacked against you, they are no match for your father. David's confidence comes from God's faithfulness. Not in his own ability, but in God's ability. And it is what drives him to overcome even these insurmountable odds. And because of that, not only can he be fearless in God's power, but he can be fervent for God's praise. He wants everyone to see and know the power of God. How do we do that? How can we be fervent for God's praise? First of all, you have to be willing to stand against those that oppose God. There are plenty of times in your life where it's time to stand up and not cower back, where it's time to not be the underdog, but it's time to be victorious in Christ. Verse 41 says, And then the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. That's an odd description. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now how in the world does that show David standing against those that oppose God? David was willing to even die, but certainly to fight so that the name of God might be glorified. And ultimately, that's what he's being called to do here. Speak about the glory of God. You know, David could have gone down there and said, look, nobody else wanted to fight you, but I'm not afraid of you. I've got courage. I don't even need the king's armor. And he didn't need the king's armor because he couldn't wear it. It was too big. Earlier in the story, they tried it on him and nothing fit. Why? He's just a little boy. But ultimately, David doesn't put the focus on him. David speaks about the glory of God. That's what we ought to do. Speak about the glory of God. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. That all sounds pretty good. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. A little smack talk going on here. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth that all may know that there is a God in Israel. So this is interesting to me, just a side note. The Philistine said, I'm going to offer your flesh to the dogs and to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said, oh yeah? Okay, well I'm going to offer all of the Philistine army's bodies to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. It's like, I, whatever you say, I can say more. It's just interesting. They're trash talking back and forth here. And he says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now that's interesting because the Philistine was dependent upon his own power. And he was pretty strong. But David wasn't worried because he was still focusing on the faithfulness and the provisions of God. Verse 47, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You see that last line? Whose hand? Our hand. It's not about David. It has never been about David. 
This was all about God's promises to Israel. David's acting on their behalf. He actually paid attention in Sunday school. When he heard the lessons about the people of God and the promised land of God and God telling Moses and the people, go into Canaan and drive out the nations. and This is your land. He was remembering the provisions of God. He knew that they were going to be victorious because God had promised and God had never let them down. This is our chance to believe and to receive all that God has for us. This was for God's glory, not for David's glory. But look at the rest of the story, verse 48. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand on his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no hand in the, there was no sword in the hand of David. And then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, I do distinctly remember earlier the Philistines said, if you were to defeat me and kill me, then we would be your servants. But perhaps they didn't hear that. So what's the main point of this story? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. There's always hope for the underdog, yes. That's true. But a lot of times when we think about there's always hope for the underdog, we also tag on to it, so never stop believing in yourself. Hey, if you trust God, then God will give you victory over all the giants of your life, no matter what they are, cancer, lousy job. If you trust God, you can just go forward and claim your destiny. That's how we typically read it. I'm not saying it's completely wrong. It certainly is one application of this story that God will help you to overcome those individual giants. But let's think through this real quickly and see that there's a much bigger underdog story here that ought to give you even more hope than you can possibly imagine. Who do you identify with in this story? Most people try to identify with David. David versus the giants. Me versus the giants. But the bad news, I guess, is that that's not who you are primarily in this story. You're not David. We are Israel. See, the victorious champion in our story is not us. The victorious champion in our story is Jesus. So Jesus is David in our story. Jesus was our unexpected representative who fought the giant on our behalf while we stood on the sideline and did nothing to help him. Jesus was opposed by all his brothers and abandoned by all of us, his friends, at the moment of battle. Jesus was the only one who really believed the promises of God. Jesus ran onto the field with perfect confidence. He won the victory on our behalf that we get to share in, even though we didn't even lift a finger to help him just like Israel did. Jesus ultimately is the champion, the real giant in our life, our real Goliath. It was not all of these little things that we like to focus on. It was our alienation from God and the penalty that we owed for our sin. It was insurmountable. There was no way we could win that battle. Mankind's greatest and most fundamental problem, the problem behind all of our other problems, is our separation from God. There's nothing any of us could do about that. We stood on the sidelines, helpless 
and hopeless. Not only did we, were we not able to do anything about it, we didn't want to do anything about it. We were headed hopelessly to an eternity separated from God. And Jesus came to earth and lived the life we were supposed to have lived as our representative and then died as our representative the death that we had been condemned to die. He took into himself the full penalty of our sin. There was something you and I could never overcome. Something we stood hopeless in front of. God's judgment and God's wrath and jesus stepped in and he took the weight of that all upon himself and he did something that you could not do for yourself when you feel like the underdog don't forget the perspective you need to have the greatest underdog story of your life was the fact that you were an underdog and you could not defeat the power of sin and death in your life and jesus stepped in and took it for you. When a massive earthquake occurs in the ocean, it usually sends a wave and shock waves that are about 10 feet in height, racing away from the epicenter, about 150 to 200 miles per hour. As that wave approaches land, these waves begin to slow, and the water begins to pile upon itself, pulling water from the shore into itself. And by the time it lands, this wave can be nearly 70 feet high traveling 60 miles per hour. Can you imagine standing on the shore as the water is sucked back away and the wave continues to grow and then all of that wave is coming directly towards you? What would you do? It's not like you can just turn around and run. You're not that fast. You can't just run into it and say, hey, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. All this wave needs is for me to run right into it. Can you imagine standing there as you see that seven-story tall wave of water just as wide as your eye can see in either direction coming directly on top of you? You know death is certain. You're not that good of a swimmer. It's almost over. And then imagine right before the wave washes over you, the ground in front of you opening up and swallowing every last drop of that water that was coming towards you. Here's what the Bible teaches us. That the righteous wrath of God was racing towards us with no hope for escape. And then Jesus stepped into its path and swallowed up every drop of God's wrath one theologian put it this way he drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs turned it over and said it is finished see the real giant in our life the real obstacle in our life is being separated from God but that giant has been defeated by Christ and many people overlook that here in the story because he's defeated that giant for me. I can have courage to face everything else that I will face in my life. Okay, as the underdog, don't miss this. As the underdog, when you begin to look at and remember the provisions of God, the single greatest provision God has ever provided 
for you is that God took the penalty of your sin upon Himself in His Son Jesus Christ and finished the work of facing the wrath of God. So now that He has overcome that giant, you can face all the other little giants of your life because God's presence is always there. God's power is always encouraging you and we ought to live for God's praise in the midst of all of this. Because Jesus took the real giant in my life, I can bravely face any of these lesser giants. They're no match for Him. I'm not an underdog anymore. I am victorious in Jesus Christ. I don't have to be afraid of pain. I don't have to be afraid of the future. I don't have to be afraid of persecution. I don't even have to be afraid of death. None of them can touch me. Because I know that if Jesus saved me, then He really did go to a place to prepare for me. So that where He is, there I can be also. This world's not my home. And I'm not worried about failure. Because there is victory in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in that victor, then today is a day of salvation. Today is a day for you to cry out to Him, I want to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're a believer and you've been struggling through the difficulties of this life because you've got your eyes fixed on all of these other things and it feels hopeless, insurmountable, like all the odds are stacked against you. And yet, today you're reminded, if Jesus took care of our sin giant, then why am I worried about all these other giants? He is with me. He has given me His people, His church, to trust to find encouragement, to find love, to find companions as we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, as we go out into the highways and byways and share this message of hope with others. There is no underdog story. There is God's story, and He wins. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank You for each person that's watching today, that's here today. God, we pray that ultimately, you would remind us of your provisions and your grace and your mercy. And that as underdogs, we, we would not be focused on the difficulties of life. We would be focused on you, your presence, fearless in your power, and fervent in living our lives for your praise because you alone are worthy. So God, draw people to you. May your will be done in our lives. May we remember the victory we have in Christ. And may we live fearless until you call us home to be with you. Have your way in our life, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.